trying to deceive you. And we have the exhortation that as we're running, and this is the context of the whole chapter, we have this running, and in this race that we're running, we are commanded to lay aside the weight and the sin, the, T-H-E, a definite article, the, the. It means it's one sin, the sin of unbelief. We're to lay that aside. Yet, every day of the battle, or the running, I should say, is this battle where the enemy brings the weight up and brings the sin up. It's deliberate. It's calculated. It's designed by Him to stop you. We all struggle with sin. It's a real issue. And every one of us struggles with sin of different degrees, of different shapes, of different makes. What the devil can tempt you with, he perhaps uses something else on someone else. But we struggle. And we want to remain victorious. We want to finish well. Nobody gets a reward, a prize, for starting the race. They only receive a reward for finishing the race. And I'm afraid that sometimes in our attempts at trying to help people, we we neglect to teach them that you are, in fact, in a battle. And you are, in fact, the target of the enemy. And just because you believed in Jesus Christ and you're following Jesus Christ doesn't mean that everything is going to be fine because it's not. The same amount of Christians get sick as do non-Christians. The same amount of Christians have divorce as in non-Christians. And all of these things that are, that are hurtful, it's the same. Heaven is not on this earth. And to get to heaven, you got to die. Your flesh, your flesh and your blood, your flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. You have to be changed. And so as we're running and these weights and sins come into our lives by deliberate attacks of the devil, There's three things that we need to remember before we can get to the three main points of the the sermon. Three things I want you to remember if you can. When the attacks come, number one, remember Jesus. Now these are very elementary things, but these are things that we struggle with. In my my, uh, experience as a pastor, I've dealt with many people struggling with things, and it's, it's odd overwhelmingly there, there's a desire, or not a desire, but a, a leading or a tempting for when someone's going through a great trial in their life to turn away from God in anger rather than running to Him for shelter. Humanity is good at this. The writer of Hebrews says in verse 3, For consider Him. Very specific, the Him is Jesus, we know that. He's talking about the Lord Jesus Christ. 
And he said, when we are struggling on this race with the weights and the sin, the first thing we need to remember is Jesus Christ. What about Jesus Christ? Notice what he says, For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself. The first thing we need to realize when we're in this battle is Jesus has already been where you are. And he endured the hostility from sinners. When's the last someone, time someone spit in your face? When's the last time someone arrested you and beat you and hung you on a cross to crucify you? When's the last time? Never. See, we forget that everything that we will ever experience in our life, Jesus has already experienced it. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 15, For He was tempted in all points as we are, yet without sin. Jesus can identify with your struggle more than anybody can. I can tell you, I sympathize with you, and I pray for you, and I can feel sorry for you, and my heart can break for you, but I can't do any more than pray for you and encourage you. But Jesus can. So when you're running, you have to remember Jesus. Why? Because here it is. This is huge in verse 3. Lest you become weary and discouraged in your soul. Please hear me out. I'm not speaking in, 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 in animosity. I'm not being mean or angry or anything. I want to tell you that God's honest truth. Discouraged Christians are ineffective Christians. And I will be honest with you. When I was growing up, I was taught by a pastor. And I was a kid. I thought, what's this guy know? And he told me some of the greatest influences in your life are the people you hang around with, the books you read, and the things you watch on television. Those are your greatest influences. Do you know that there are people who are called, quote, paid influencers on the Internet that try to get you to, to feel one way or another or do something else? And when a discouraged Christian is around others, the discouragement becomes contagious. And people pile in on it. And one thing that will discourage you when running is discouragement. You say, well, that sounds redundant. I was running a race one time. Believe it or not, I used to run quite a bit. And uh, we were running a race, the first race I ever ran in. I got up front. And took off, and man, I was right here in my side. I thought, what in the world's going on? And then it starts building up, and I start breathing heavy, and I can't hardly breathe. And I looked down, and I was running like a 4.30 pace in a mile. I couldn't even finish one mile at that pace. I slowed way down. I became discouraged when a little old lady passed me. And I wished I, would, I wished I could tell you that I were more Christian at the time than I was, but I thought, well, you ain't going to pass me, so I passed her right before you went in the chute at the, at the gate at the end. Terrible, I know. That's terrible, isn't it? Yes, I know. The point of my, my, my saying this is what hindered my running, the discouragement, because I wasn't running well. 
What was the weight? The weight was I wasn't running by time. I learned then I bought me a watch and I ran by time and not by the other runners. When I figured that out when we ran races, I was, I'm a nervous person. If you don't know that by now, I'm a nervous person. And um, the day of our wedding, I was telling my best friend, I said, man, the wedding's in the evening at 530. And I said, this is miserable waiting. I said, let's go. And we went and ran a race. Mind you, it was my best time I ever ran for a 5K run. But I learned to, to pace myself, and I learned that when I paced myself with the watch and the time, I would pass a lot of people that took off early in the front. I didn't line up in the front anymore. I lined up in the middle. I learned some things. And on this journey we are with the Lord we need to learn things that discourage us. And we need to take corrective steps to make sure that doesn't happen again. Remember Jesus. Why? Because your soul will become weary and discouraged if you don't. Notice he says in verse 4, You have not yet resisted to bloodshed, striving against sin. In your battle, yes, you have some heartache. In your battle, yes, you've had some tears shed. But you haven't, you haven't strived until you shed your blood. Yet Jesus did for you all the way. And he could say, it is finished. When you're running the race and the weights are, are encumbering you and the sin is besetting you, Remember Jesus. He endured the cross for you. You can get through this discouragement and this trial, this difficulty. The second thing I would ask you to remember is remember you are a child of God. I love this. If you read with me in verse 5, And you have forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as to sons. Now, ladies, please look up here at me. There's a reason why he uses sons, S-O-N, and not children. They wanted to make this. It's in the masculine. And they wanted to make this, some translators of new versions of the Bible, wanted to make it gender neutral. Where's that coming from? It's not coming from God. But why would he use sons? Because I need to teach you something. If you read Galatians, when a child, a, a child who was a, a Israeli Hebrew child, when he was growing up, the oldest male was the inheritor. He was the one that inherited everything and took over leadership of the family. But he was still treated as a slave. He didn't get that inheritance until a certain age. So he was treated just as a slave as a child. He wasn't treated as one who had the inheritance. The reason he uses son is the reason because Galatians teaches us that what he is saying is that you and I, when we believed in Jesus Christ, we are adopted into the family of God, not as men and women, but as sons, as those who have a full inheritance. Amen. Do you understand? You're not splitting your inheritance with someone else. You get Christ, you get it all. Amen. And that's what he's trying to say there. So ladies, don't be offended when you come to the Scripture in the New Testament and you see sons. It's, you're included in that, but you are, it's, it means your inheritance just as that oldest male boy got all, got it all, you get it all as well. And so we must remember that we are children of God. 
Now, there's some people on television that would have you that the, every person is a child of God. No, only those who have believed in Jesus Christ are legitimately children of God. There's a distinction made here. If you don't have any, if you can go and sin and sin and sin, and there's no chastening, no discipline in your life, then you are illegitimate. You are not his child. That's what the scripture says, not me. That's what it says. And you can explain it away if you want, but that's what it says. I must remember, and children, listen to me. <clears throat> children, they have an effect on their father's name. I wish it were not so. I have known good men who've had children, and sometimes kids are just kids. But sometimes there's some really evil children, and it reflected negatively on the whole family and on the family name. Nobody ever says, we're having Charles Manson's father over for dinner. Why? You stay away from the Manson name, don't you? Remember, you're a child of God. Every once in a while when Keith Athene and I talk and we get ready to hang up, he said, hey, don't forget whose boy you are. He's not talking about Richard Estep. He's talking about the Heavenly Father. And how you live reflects what you believe about God, your Father. Guys, listen to me. Sometimes Christians are the most complainers in the world. We complain about all this political stuff. We complain about all this. It cracked me up. We were talking, having a discussion. There were several people that told me, we need to start Sunday night service. And the people that, there were some people that were saying, we need to start Sunday night service. We need to start Sunday night service. And we started Sunday night service, and they haven't come since we started. And it dawned on me, they weren't wanting to start Sunday night service because they needed the Word of God in Sunday school. They wanted to make a political statement against the, 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 the COVID garbage. When we get all wrapped up in the world and we're so negatively, what does that say about our faith in God? I have found great comfort in the last two or three months. I have found great comfort in saying this. I don't know. I don't know. And after I tell someone I don't know three times after they rephrase the question, ask me, I say, I don't know. They stop asking me. Ironically, I had a doctor's appointment the other day, uh, not for my neck, but for just a general checkup, and my blood pressure was never better. My blood pressure has never been that low. Stop fighting. You're fighting the wrong battle. The battle's already won. Get with the victor. I'm God's children. Number three, remember God disciplines His children. This, this matter of discipline is not just put here in the Scripture so that we have a discourse on discipline. No, it's tied to this. When you're running and these weights are besetting you, there are certain things that God's going to use. He's going to use to bring you back to where you need to be. One of those things is discipline. And the word chastening literally means scourge. And if you look up scourge in the American Merriam-Webster's online dictionary, you will find that scourge means to whip or flog. To whip or flog. Verse 5, And have you forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as to sons? My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, 
nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son whom he receives. If you endure chastening, God deals with you as sons. For what son is there whom a father does not chasten? But if you are without chastening, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate and not sons. Remember, sometimes in our lives when we get off the path and we have these weights that are bearing us down, they're encumbering us from running, and we're, we're just bound up, God may bring His discipline in our life to correct us. Not to be mean to us, but to change our behavior because our behavior is destructive. It's not becoming of a child of God. And He brings us in. God disciplines those whom He loves. It's a mark of relationship. As a matter of fact, the, the writer of Hebrews goes one step further. He said, we've all had, we've all had, furthermore, verse 9, we have had human fathers who corrected us. And we paid them respect. Shall we not much more readily be in subjection to the Father of spirits and live? We understand in humanity, when we have a child that has to be disciplined, we discipline them and correct them. We don't do it to be mean. We don't do it to be angry. We do it because it's going to change, correct the destructive behavior. Verse 10, For they indeed for a few days chastened us as it seemed best to them, but He for our profit, that we may be partakers of His holiness. This is what I want, I want to shout out loud, as loud as I can. Christianity is about you and me being conformed into the image of Jesus Christ. We don't talk about progressive sanctification in churches anymore. Every day you and I live as believers in Jesus Christ, we should be becoming more like Jesus Christ. I'm talking about the fruit of the Spirit. We should be. And when we don't, when we're digressing or going the other way, sometimes God brings chastisement, the scourging, the whipping in to correct us. To make us more like Jesus Christ. When we were at Abundant Life, my dad told me one time there was a visiting missionary. And someone said about his kids, if those were my kids, I would whip them. And the missionary responded back to the guy, yes, if they were your kids, I would whip them too. Everyone loves their children. Everyone loves their children. And you and I want to do what's best for our children. God is the same way. He doesn't spank the neighbor's children. He doesn't spank those who do not belong to Him. No chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. Nevertheless, afterward, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness. In other words, let me say it this way. The spanking is not joyful or pleasant. It hurts. And the pain is to change 
the course of destructive behavior. Please look at me for a moment. There are many people in this room are not running the race well because you have been discouraged by your past behavior. And your discouragement because of your past behavior is keeping you from running the race. What will it take for God to get you to understand that you are forgiven, you are cleansed, now walk in the newness of life, go and sin no more, and live in the power of His testimony of your forgiveness? There's some people in this room who don't want to go to hell, but you don't want to serve the Lord. You don't want to follow Jesus. And I'm telling you, you're holding on to the sin of selfishness. The weight that's holding you back, that's keeping you from running the race that God has set before you. The the race is set before you. If you're not on that course running that race, you're going to be chastised if you're a believer. God will get a hold of you. Charles Stanley, when preaching through this this passage of Scripture, said one time that he found himself in a hospital on his back so that the only place he could look was up. And that's where God got a hold of him. John Piper writes in a book, Do not waste your suffering. Do not waste your suffering. Let it bring about the peaceable fruit of righteousness. You haven't strived until you shed your blood. It's not pleasant when it comes. Okay, so what? Near Wattonsville, California, there's a creek, and it has a strange name, and I hope I don't mispronounce this name. It's Sousi Puedes, and it's a Spanish word for get out of it. Get out of it. It means to get out of it if you can, excuse me. The creek is lined with quicksand, and the story is that many years ago, in the early days of California, a Mexican laborer fell into the quicksand. A Spaniard riding by on a horse saw him and yelled out to him, Salse puedes, get out if you can, which was not very helpful. And ever since then, that creek has been named, get out if you can. That's what your flesh is like. That's what preachers are like today. People are being sucked into the the quicksand of sin, and we say, get out if you can. No, I want to show you. I want to show you today how you can get out of that quicksand. Three things. That was all introduction. I'm sorry. Three things. Three S's. Three S's. And just so you know this, why do I use three? Shay Vernon McGee said, because four is too many and two is not enough. But that's not my answer. There's something about threes. Have you ever seen that commercial about the uh, uh, Alec, um, what was the guy that did the, anyways, Jeopardy. Anyways, Alex Trebek. He said, three, the three Ps, price, price, price. Why three? Because people m- remember threes. So three couplets here, three S words. Number one, strengthen. Look at verse 12. Therefore, strengthen the hands which hang down 
and the feeble knees. And make straight paths for your feet, so that what is lame may not be dislocated, but rather be healed. Strengthen. Exercise your spirituality. Exercise your spirituality. Strengthen your hands, which hang down, and the feeble knees. Church, listen to me. You know what strengthens the church more than anything? Is when you and I are in this book ourselves. Listen to me. I want to say this. I want to make a statement. I believe... And, and I, I, you, it, my, I hope it's not an arrogant statement. I believe this with all my heart. The reason the church is in the way it's in, the shape it's in today, is because believers are not in the Bible. A recent survey was done, and I find this shocking. A recent survey was done in which they asked pastors anonymously but honestly how many of them had read from the book from Genesis to Revelation, not in preaching different passages around, but from systematically, one time, read the Bible through. Nine percent of pastors have read the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. Nine percent. That's appalling. Now, I won't ask you in here if any of you have read through that, because I believe some of you have, and perhaps some of you haven't. But you know what's more appalling than that? In the same survey... 12% of atheists had read the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. We have, by their own omission, some pastors are reading the Bible less than atheists. Why do I say that I believe that there are many people in the church that are not in the Word of God? Because His Word will not return void. If everyone in this room were reading his or her Bible every day, or even listening to it on your iPhone or whatever, or Android for some of you others. You'll get there one day. But anyways, if everyone were doing that, his word would not return void, and we'd see a bigger impact on our community. But guys, we're more into social media. We're more into Fox News. We're more into sports than we are the living word of God. And there won't be one of us that stands before the King of Kings and Lord of Lords and said, Lord, I saw on Facebook. I I liked the page that said I loved you and I followed you. I honked if I believed in Jesus. You wouldn't go without eating for a week. And unfortunately, some Christians, the only feeding they get is once a week when a preacher preaches or they attend Sunday school. If you are uncomfortable, I'm thankful for that. Because if you're uncomfortable, then I've hit where I needed to hit. My preacher used to say, if you throw a rock into a pack of dogs, the one that yelps is the one you hit. Not only do we need to exercise, we need to run on the right path. The same race I mentioned before... When the Kenyans were running, the leader actually took a wrong turn in Huntington. And it was told him he took a wrong turn, went out of his way so far. They got him back on course, and he finished away. He still won. 
there's hope for you. If you're on the wrong path, you can run, you can turn and get on the right path after you're in the Word for a while, and we start listening to me, listen to me, we start using discernment. These are old-fashioned words, but they're biblical words. Discernment. You see, a weight is not necessarily a sin, by say, but a weight is something that holds you back. I had found at one point in my life, I was hanging around with some people who were extremely negative. And I found that myself was becoming negative. I needed to remove that weight. I had to stop. I had to stop. Strengthen. Get in the Word. Get on the right path. Number two, strive. Strive. Verse 14, pursue peace with all people and holiness, without which no one will see the Lord. In our churches, we used to preach striving for holiness. We have become so comfortable with the doctrine of eternal security that we have stopped trying to be holy. We've stopped trying to be like Jesus Christ. We stop striving to be like Christ. In this word, in this sentence, in this verse, is the idea of putting forth an effort. Putting forth an effort to become holy. To yield ourselves to the Lord. To be in the Word of God. To walk in obedience. Striving for holiness. The last word is see. S-E-E. Verse 15. Looking carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble, and by this many become defiled. First of all, you have to look out for yourself. Now, when I say look out for yourself, I'm not talking about what the world says, look out for yourself. When I say look out for yourself, I'm saying that you and I need to be spiritually mature enough to say, I'm going to put these things in my life because that is a weight and that is going to bear me down. I don't need it. I'm going to to look out for that. I'm going to be watching for that. I'm going to be on the lookout. We were at Camp Jerry. Camp Jerry's in Lavalette, West Virginia. A lot of copperheads in them hills. My dad was eight years old. He was bit, bitten, I should say, by a copperhead when he was eight years old. I do not walk anywhere in the woods at night without focusing on where I'm going. Because I have had that fear put in me. I do not like snakes. I don't care if you hold them, you tame them, you love them, you sleep with them. That's, that's you. It ain't happening in my house. I came home from, we came home the other night and it was dark and on our bathroom window there was a big large snake. Amy walked right by. It was too late to call Rick and Chance and Austin. They all hold snakes, which I think, ugh. But anyways, Amy got me a paint pole. And I bet you I had that thing from here to Jay Pendleton stretched out. Because I wasn't touching that thing. You can laugh at me all you want to. Noah had the hoe. 
Now listen, I know they eat mice. I ain't afraid of a mouse. Right? The, the devil was never identified as a mouse. He was in the serpent. So Noah's got the hoe. And I get that thing and flip it off the window, and this is like a Saturday Night Live skit, I guess. Noah's, I mean, he's hitting it so hard, sparks are flying off the blacktop. And Amy said, I wish I could have filmed it because you're saying, kill it again, kill it again. And I'm telling you, I have no problem in you knowing that. And any time in the summer, everywhere I go, I'm looking out. And you know, the Bible says the devil is as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. You've got to be alert all the time. Your eyes have to be open to the fact that the, the devil is trying as hard as you are trying to strive for holiness. He is trying equally and maybe even more so to cause you to fall. He's throwing weight on you. You don't even know it. He's throwing weight on your back. The second part of C is to look out for others. Look out for others. Looking carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble, and by this many become defiled. Someone was talking about one apple. I think it was last week in your Sunday school lesson. Brother Harry was talking about one apple, bad apple, spoils the whole bunch. Look out for others. Someone comes to you and says, did you hear about so-and-so? Well, let's go pray for it. Let's go pray with them. Let's go talk about it. Let's go. Let's not. You know, the Bible says, he that repeateth the matter separateth friends. I had a friend call me and say, listen, I overheard something about someone, and th- these people didn't know that I knew this person and blah, blah, blah. And, and the person and I both agreed, do not say a word. Let's just pray. Why? Because the Bible says, he that repeateth the matter separateth friends. You understand what that means? When we go running and telling everybody all these tales, what we're doing is we're, we're separating friends. Incidentally, that's one of the, that's one of the uh, seven things that God hates. It's an abomination. He that sows discord among brethren. Your intent may not to be sowing discord, but it is sowing discord. Now, verse 17 shakes me because we just read it and we don't think anything about it. I want you to look at me just one second here. I want to tell you this. There are no do-overs. You only get one time. You don't get to start over in this life. Now, I know when you get saved, you're a new creation in Christ Jesus. But every day you live your life, you cannot go back and live yesterday. Verses 16 and 17. Lest there be any fornicator or profane person like Esau, who for one morsel of food sold his birthright. For his immediate flesh, he sold his birthright. But verse 17, for you know that afterward he wanted to inherit the blessing, he was rejected. He found no place for repentance, though he sought it diligently with tears. He couldn't go back and take back his inheritance that he sold for a bowl of stew. He couldn't do it. And you and I can't go back and change yesterday, but we can start right now. And this is the conclusion. This is what Paul is building up, or whoever you may think is the writer of Hebrews, is building up to this crescendo of this running, the race that's set before us. And he says, listen, you don't get 
to start the race over. You don't. So run. So run the race you're in now. Don't look back. Get on the right path. Strengthen yourself. Strive for holiness. Watch for yourself and watch out for others. And know that He has already won the battle that you're fighting. By faith, we become obedient to His Word. By faith, we submit ourselves to Him to be conformed into His image. By faith, we love ourselves and we love others. This is what we do, church. Because... The devil wants you to grow weary. And you can't run weary. You cannot do it. It will stop you in your tracks. So, are you one who is stuck in the sauce puedos? The mire of the weight and sin? That's holding you back from running your race. You can listen to me and you can say, I wish you'd hurry up so we can get out of here. Sometimes I think that. I think, man, they better, they're not going to let me have another Sunday off because when I come back, I preach longer. <laughs> but let me ask you a question Are you running well? Are you running well? Is there weight holding you back? Is there the sin of unbelief holding you back? Maybe God's spoken to you. and Maybe you need to step it up. You're not serving the Lord, but you know you should be. The Bible says that every joint supplies. Everyone in this church that's a born-again believer ought to be serving the Lord somewhere, somehow, some way. And you don't want to hear this, but if you're not, you're not right with God. Because it's only a natural occurrence. And I'm not assuming that you do or you don't. I'm not assuming anything. I'm just giving the message. You might be one of those who never even picks up this book or never listens to it on the, on the interweb. Or internet, whatever it's called. <laughs> I, let's pray. Father, we love you, God. We need you.